Hey there, and welcome to the Agency Rockstars podcast. I'm Dana Lindahl, and I'm the founder of LegendaryLeadGen.com, where we help B2B companies become authorities in their industry, set more sales appointments, and convert those appointments into more sales. We also help other agencies sell our patented process on to their own clients. And we truly believe in the value of building and creating relationships, and in that being the main driver of new sales for agencies. So... Stick around to the end of the show. We're going to be revealing how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing agency podcasts on the planet. All right, let's get straight into it. All right, rock stars, welcome back to your show. I'm the host, Dan, and I am joined today by yet another rock star on the stage here, ready to take over and take a solo from me and do a drum solo. I don't know, something rock star-ish. Um, she is the founder at Slide UX. Her name is Erin Young. Erin, welcome to the show. Dan, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Absolutely. So I can't wait to get a little bit of your story and to learn more about this agency of helping marketers and folks have a better user experience and just this world of UX. I feel like it's a really big deal right now. So uh, so let's start kind of at your beginning. How did you get into running an agency? What's your background? Sure. So I started off in what used to be called information architecture or web production. You know, I was helping to plan web pages. We were trying to figure out how they should be organized. And I became really fascinated in my in-house job with the relationship between the decisions that we would make on the web and um, the results that we could see, how a change on the web could impact those results. Um, So I had the opportunity from there to work for a large interactive agency. And I realized that, in fact, this was a skill and it was something that the clients were very interested in. Um, And I really became very dedicated to working with clients who wanted to focus in on the measuring of such changes and to do things really intentionally. I got lucky because that was UX, but it wasn't really called UX yet. And here we are, you know, couple decades in for me and UX blew up and it became so recognized for its importance in businesses. So we've gotten the chance to see it through all of those phases. And now we get the chance to work with clients who really know what it is and are are demanding it. And eventually you strike out on your own and you are the founder now of this agency called Slide UX. Um, And I love, as I was doing my research, I, I love the the LinkedIn profile that you've built and how you just answer the questions. You're like, we help product and marketing leaders who struggle with, and you name them all off. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's really good. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, what growth and scaling looks like for Slide UX. You've been doing this for coming up on nine years now. So there has to be some great stories there. How do you grow and scale this business? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the the growth was gradual for us. We started off with just a couple of folks and saw that we had big opportunities. And so we grew in response to those opportunities where the clients that we loved working with just demanded more and more time and larger teams. And we had to hire um, to stay sane ourselves and to give them what they needed. Um, But recently, scale has started to take on a different form. We've really been focused on creating a a plan um, and a project structure and a team structure that is simple enough that it can be repeated easily and that everybody really understands what their jobs are and that the clients really understand exactly when to reach out to us, when to contact us and what they're going to get from us. And so we've found that simplicity um, is kind of the next tier in uh, growth for us. Gotcha. It's so interesting. 
I love hearing the different answers to growth and scale, what it means to everybody. And the fact that you're talking simplicity rather than like, let's make this super complex and blow up. You're kind of coming in. That's just, that's such an interesting perspective. Um, Aaron, I'd love to touch a little bit on, on story time and learn more about like your clients and stuff through your lens of a favorite story that highlights a specific way that you've helped one of those clients. What does that win look like for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of my favorite parts of our job is the discoveries that we can bring to clients about stuff that they think they know really well. You know, we are typically working with somebody who has been in their space. There's a reason that they're the boss or there's a reason that they're a leader in this space, but for whatever reason, they haven't had the attention uh, on, you know, really listening to what users think and how users experience their product. So for those clients, we're often able to deliver some really eye-opening surprises, sometimes that are contrary to what they think is going on. And a really good example of that was a time when a client had metrics that showed that their project had been a really big success. They almost brought us in as validation after the fact, like, we're going to do a usability test on this just to be sure. But like, we see the numbers and we know that we've we've really succeeded. Um, and in that test, we learned that users actually were moving so quickly through that experience, they didn't realize where they were headed. And they found themselves at the end of that flow, really confused by the destination. But according to the numbers, that was a win. So bringing them that insight, I mean, it really changed their project. Their their project had not been a win and they were able to quickly rectify it. Um, and they'll never push something live without talking to users again as a result of what they learned. So those types of things are always just really satisfying for us because, you know, we believe everybody should be talking to their users. And when we get the chance to show them in such a black and white way, yes, this is a good choice for you. Um, we feel like we plant a seed that's going to help that business for the long term. Yeah. And I, so I'd love to dig in, Aaron. What is, when you say that they were lost at the end, what is the risk? You know, if I see a client, if I see a customer go through my workflow and they're there at the end and they've done what they're supposed to do, like we're good. What is the danger to them getting to that end and not understanding why they're there? Yeah, well, you know, for many businesses, you'll you'll end up seeing the results in some other metric that you may not associate with the project that, you know, actually caused it. Um, so in this case, what would have happened is that these were these were leads that were being generated and that would be distributed off to various partners. So what would have happened in their case is that those leads would have been distributed and they were truly of much, much lower quality than they ever had been before. And those leads were a part of their value proposition to those partners. So with time, this could have had a really negative effect on their relationship because they thought that they were actually improving their value to those partners. And they would have slowly realized that in fact, no, none of these people actually want our services because they didn't realize what they were signing up for. Um, so, you know, the cases could really vary. They could be anything. It depends on what exactly that flow is. Um, but the confusion can have a, a wide range of business consequences. Sure. And so my mind went to not leads. That's really interesting. My mind went to you've, you've closed that business and not like now what things like churn, um, poor reviews, bad, you know, net promoter scores, CSAS scores, whatever, like all of that could be a, a factor. I would guess when the, when the UX fails, am I right? Exactly. Right. It really, because interfaces are used to facilitate so many different types of self-service transactions, confusion can have a whole range of different costs. Yeah. 
So Aaron, let's, so we, so that's one of your, of your great stories, one of your wins, one of your clients. Um, tell me a little bit about who you do work with. Who's a great fit for slide UX. For sure. So we really have a couple of key things that we look for in clients. We gravitate towards product leaders who want to be engaged in their projects. And it sounds like that would probably be any client because, you know, who wouldn't want to be engaged with something that they're investing in? But there are those types of projects that a firm or a corporation is just looking to outsource something that they need to get done. And then there are those types of projects that are actually integral to their business that are going to make an impact and that are really going to move the needle for them. And they're not going to want to outsource those entirely. They're going to want to participate. We're looking for clients that want to participate because our project is really designed to make use of our clients' knowledge and um, to give them lots and lots of opportunities to share with us what they already know. And then we correct that along the way when we discover something different. We'll challenge that. Um, But we believe that we can get a lot further down the path by leveraging what our clients already know, and that requires their engagement. So an engaged client and a project that's really going to make an impact. Typically, these are product leaders. Now, that can take many different titles. That sometimes might be a C-level leader. It might be a product manager or head of product. It may be somebody inside of a product team. And it's often a marketing leader because marketing is complex these days, and organizations are often building products or websites that require product management. Okay. Uh, so you kind of cover the breadth of different industries, sizes of companies, but you're looking for those leaders. Makes sense. Um, so in those industries or with the different clients, what kind of pain points do you see today with those with those folks that you're working with? What are their biggest pain points across the board? For many of them, it's a gap. Um, organizations know that having a good UX is important and they strive to have a good UX, but the how is a question mark for many of them. So we're contacted by organizations where developers and engineers have to take raw requirements from the business and figure out how to build the thing. In those cases, half of the development cycle can go into planning the thing and only half of it actually gets utilized for building the thing. Um, We also have a lot of prospective clients and clients who, when they first join with us, they're having to define the user experience themselves. They don't have the time. They don't have the specialization. They definitely don't have the polish to do those things in a scalable way. So what ends up happening is it's very much like technical debt. You know, you end up with a pile of wireframes that they've created that they don't feel great about, that they're not sure are particularly good. And there's no sense of modularity to their work because it's rushed and they've had to move so quickly. So the next time they have something they have to define, they have to start from scratch. And with time, things end up meandering to a really inconsistent place. We can solve all of those with our specialty and their knowledge of their domain. It's uh, again goes back to partner and collaboration. You bring your expertise, they bring their knowledge, and it comes together to solve all those pain points. It sounds like, Erin, um, you mentioned you've been doing this for a couple of decades now. How has UX changed over those decades, and in particular, maybe even over the last year or so, has it has it changed? Yes, it has dramatically. And this is really where, again, I struck out on my own because I saw clients back then. This is probably about 12 years ago because I freelanced for a couple of years before starting the company. I saw a great demand for this sort of more rigorous approach to design. Um, And it could be a really hard sell 
in a design organization that had, especially one that had deep roots in brand, creative, marketing, or just having the coolest, most innovative thing had long been the way you won. You know, we're looking for um, articles in ad age, or we're looking for awards at award shows for advertising rather than the metrics of cold, hard conversions at the end of a checkout flow. That seems really boring to some of those folks. So anyway, I saw that I saw this um, begin, this appetite begin to emerge back at that time. What has been hardest for me is that UX has become a household term. You know, I think a lot of people literally in households across America would complain about the user experience of something these days. And that's not something that would have happened 10, 15 years ago. Nobody knew these words. With the proliferation of that language into common knowledge, there are also a lot of people that don't understand exactly what it is. So in the beginning, when somebody contacted us, they knew exactly what they were looking for and they had found us and it was like there was no qualification required because they had found us and there were very few of us and therefore there was a fit. Um, but now when people call for UX, they could mean engineering, they could mean development, they often mean like visual polish. And we've got the visual polish part, but if that's all they want, um, we know they're not going to have the type of result that they're looking for. So it's been a challenge to have to teach some clients about what user experience is in order to guide them to what they're actually shopping for, which sometimes is not user experience services. Um, now, in the past year, I think that the big change has been um, that interfaces have continued to get even more important because of all of the digital interactions that we've had to have. So we've seen clients, some clients really have to change their strategies and their focus because something that they sold was based on in-person consumer interactions. But on the flip side, we have customers who had two-year roadmaps that suddenly were condensed down to three or four months because they were like, wow, this is a feature that we absolutely have to get out now because everybody's remote and everybody is disconnected and this solves for that in some different way. So new opportunities were born and that just really shifted a lot of priorities in our world. Yeah. Um, when I was doing my research, I, I knew uh, before our conversation, I was looking, of course, the, I always love to see the logos that you work with and got some great logos there. One of my favorite was the Bacardi. So that's awesome. <laughs> how, how much pushback do you get from the bigger brands versus the smaller brands or is it the opposite like which brands really really get ux and which ones are you trying to do you have to educate more i think that with the size of the um, the size of the client it doesn't have a direct correlation to how well they get ux and that's because of the fluidity of our workforce you know you have people coming from startups into corporations and from corporations to form startups so you have really experienced and savvy people on both organization sizes but a startup is more malleable in its culture and an enterprise organization has more hoops that you have to jump through, um, period, in all different ways. One of the real challenges that we present to an enterprise organization is the fact that we're seeking out information that changes the scope of their projects. So it's very, you know, it's very, it's very much preferred oftentimes to have a negotiated scope 
for a large endeavor um, at the start of a fiscal year or at the start of a quarter. And our research can dramatically change what that organization should do. So it can really test their ability to be agile um, and to absorb that feedback and make a pivot um, because it can sometimes break their contracting models for the way that they do other things, specifically development engineering contracts. And we really encourage, I mean, they know that it's the right thing to do and they don't want to be getting huge impactful feedback from users after something's built, but it's a matter of figuring out how to make space for that and still get those contracts negotiated and have the budget secured and, and other things like that. Yeah. So, so, so many different parts to it. So interesting. Um, Aaron, you've been extremely generous with your, your stories, your insights. I've got one more coming up here that I want to really pick your brain at. Um, but before we get there, I want to make sure folks can connect with you. Those listening, they're loving this conversation. Where can they keep up with it? I know you've got a newsletter that you love to promote. Where's the best way to find you and to find Slide UX? Absolutely. So you can go to slideux.com and throughout the site, you'll find prompts to sign up for our newsletter. It's a weekly newsletter. We share insights about how to create great user experiences as well as inspiration for product leaders. So if that's you, definitely subscribe. Um, it comes out every Tuesday. Sweet. Uh, and you are easy to find on, on LinkedIn. Uh, you're very active on LinkedIn. So folks, uh, check out Aaron's content there. So Aaron, um, is there anything over the years that you've learned or advice that you've heard that seems counterintuitive at first, but then has that massive impact on your business once you've embraced it? I'll go back to the first thing that I talked about on our call, which is simplicity. This is a lesson that I wish I would have learned a long time ago. One of the first lessons that I did learn from my peers who own businesses um, about how to how to manage it effectively was to write things down and to create playbooks for the processes that you're going to use and the services that you're going to deliver. And we did that. But when we first did it, we did it for too many possible variations, too many possible combinations. Everything was custom, and I thought that's how it had to be, but I spent some time in this past year really distilling it down, and we realized that most of our clients, especially the clients that are first coming to us, need us to follow the same set of steps, and that we were overcomplicating the sales process, the proposaling process, and then also the fulfillment process by rendering similar services in different combinations every time. So by simplifying, we made it easier to explain, easier to fulfill, and just better to be a part of. And now we're all refining that same thing together. We have a process and the whole team is committed to it and understands it. And when something goes wrong, we look back at the process and we can refine it to avoid that next time. So my advice to business leaders is just to really think about focusing and simplification and finishing that that one thing before you start to add the next and the next. Yeah. Sounds like uh, Jay Papasan, the one thing. Until my one thing is finished, everything else is just a distraction. Um, Aaron Young, Slide UX, slideux.com. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation, Aaron. I uh, appreciate your time for sure. Thank you. It's been a joy. Thanks for listening to the Agency Rockstars podcast. If you're an agency owner who would like to appear in this podcast, please visit legendaryleadgen.com slash podcast slash apply. Also, if you found this episode valuable, I would really appreciate you sharing it on social media. Even just a quick screenshot of the episode showing on your phone shared to social media would be great. If you truly enjoyed the episode, we'd also really love a rating in your favorite podcast player. Please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. 
We promise to read it all and take action. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dana Lindahl, and if you want to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find more information about everything we're currently doing at legendaryleadgen.com. Thanks for listening, and hope to hear from you soon. Thank you.